0: Welcome to The Art of Listening, a podcast about classical music, conducting, composition, the business of music, and how to listen to it all. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and with me as always is Gabriel Gordon. Gabe, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. It is so nice to have you here today. We're going to be talking about composition, and we've got a great guest on the show today. Tell us a little bit about who we're going to be speaking with.
1: Alfonso Tenriro is uh, my friend here in Ogden. He's an internationally known composer uh, who happens to live here in Ogden. And when I uh, first performed his piece, actually, with uh, Chamber Orchestra Ogden, I couldn't believe that a composer like this was you know living up here and i immediately introduced myself to him and uh, we became friends and i've been playing his music ever since
0: you know as musicians we often uh have the opportunity to play other people's pieces and more than not those people who compose those music are you know long gone some might say um, it really is interesting getting to know composers how they do it and i think we're going to find out today some pretty interesting things about what it takes to actually compose Music.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a great conversation.
0: We want to say thank you guys for taking the time to check out The Art of Listening, a brand new podcast about classical music. We are now available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Gabe, we are even found on Amazon these days. Anywhere cool. you want to check out our podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. So, some great things happening over on your YouTube channel. You can find out everything over at gabrielgordon.net forward slash YouTube. And, you know, Gabe, one of the things that I love about your channel is it really is for musicians right you've got some great videos over there on not only how to play but you know you've been doing some pretty cool things with and without violins in the videos talk to us a little bit about some of the neat things that you've been putting up on your channel
1: well uh, I've got a lot of discussions um, about various aspects in the music industry as well as uh, videos uh, for that have concertos on them videos that have string quartets on them. I take out some of the solo parts so that students can perform uh, along with the orchestra and lots of other fun and relatable things.
0: And of course, don't forget to check that out over at gabrielgordon.net forward slash YouTube. And we want to get right into our conversation today with our composer friend, Alfonso. How are you today? Welcome to the program.
2: Nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Talk to us a little bit about it you're a conductor, you're a composer. Talk to us a little bit about your music career.
2: Well I'm I'm a composer uh, conductor is whenever it needs to be ha- it needs to happen I, I conduct um, you know I as you said I'm music director at uh, two separate two different churches and a teacher at two local Catholic schools here in Ogden St Joseph Catholic High School and elementary school but uh, I you know, I'm a composer, that's what I also do. I'm mainly teaching, but I'm always composing music. Uh, I'm finding time to compose music, and it's been a wonderful thing here in Ogden to that Gabriel and I connected. Um, He was actually the conductor of the Weber State uh, Symphony Orchestra. Uh, uh, Dr. De Galvez that connected us in one of the uh, concerto competitions. And Gabriel, from that moment, told me, "You know, I'm going to be. You're going to be hearing a lot from me." And I had no idea what he meant by that. Uh, it, it, it was a funny comment, and I, I usually don't. Uh, I don't give myself to to people I don't know easily. You know, I'm, I, I stay. I keep thinking on the super, things on the superficial level. And Gabriel immediately opened his doors to me to, to compose music for him. And you know, it's a composer's dream. Period. To have him here in the community, to have him uh, as a friend, and uh, and as an amazing performer and conductor, and as an organizer of, uh, of of events and orchestras, and and he has always included me in this. So I don't know if I'm going too long, but it, you know, and it's that's what I can tell you. I, I you know, as a kid, I always uh, wanted to learn how to write music because I would hear this. I, you know, when I heard, um, how do you say, uh, pop songs, whether it's Beatles, whether it, it was Genesis, whether it was Yes, Emerson, and Palmer, it was always the arrangements that interested me, not not the actual music per se, but the, the, the accompaniment instruments, the violin that is being held in the songs such as yesterday, for example, that little string quartet, the violin. Right. I wanted to do that. So that's what interests me interested me in composition. That's when I was in Venezuela, before I moved to the US.
1: So Alfonso, you know, you were talking about uh, how we met and uh, I'm just going to kind of extend that a little bit because uh, after I met you, I wanted you on the board for one of the, one of the groups that I, I do, which is called Next Ensemble. And I invited you to a house concert and i'll never forget this because i invited you to the concert because i wanted you on the board but your reaction to that was to text me the next day at the very beginnings of a solo violin piece i remember now it was it was really kind of amazing because i get this i get this text for this piece and i'm looking at it and it looks pretty hard and he says you want to play this next week <laughs> and i said wow you know, I, I kind of looked at it and said, well, you know, it's kind of like Beethoven is asking me you know, to perform a world premiere next week. So I kind of have to say yes. And <laughs> that's how we got the ball rolling. It was pretty amazing. I didn't know that about uh, your, your inspiration towards composition uh, actually had to do with all of those groups. That's really fascinating. Um, why did you start playing music in general? What what was your inspiration there?
2: As a kid, um, I, you know, I just always, uh, my, you know, my parents always bought me those little electronic back then, you know, electronic analogs, little keyboards and so forth with the mm-hmm. letters, and I wanted to learn them. And I remember experimenting with them. And I remember <laughs> learning a song by ear and I learned immediately that I didn't know what a third was, but I learned that a third second be- sounded better than a second. And I, and I said, "Oh gosh, if I stack thirds, things sound pretty good. I'm talking about six years old. Wow. Uh, third sounds pretty good. So I can do dough a deer on thirds, and it sounds good. And then I, I remember getting to an area, a part where, oh my gosh, uh, thirds sound good, but it doesn't match the harmony or the chord that should go there. Right. So I would try to find different harmonies that go there. So immediately, you know, my parents put me in organ lessons. So I started, you know, with the Yamaha Suzuki method or whatever it was back then. Yeah, Everybody had an electronic organ in their homes. I was one of those. My parents always uh, 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 supported me on that. And then before I knew it, uh, I was asking for a synthesizer. Huh. And before I knew it, I was in a rock band with a friend at age 12 and and I was begging for this synthesizer that would give me string sounds you know it was a string ensemble it was the solina arp solina string ensemble and right. I would orchestrate the songs and I would you know and that gave me an idea of colors without even knowing experimenting with the organ and the synthesizers right. even not even knowing that I was orchestrating so you know from there uh, my parents encouraged me to study music but i wanted to study not composition i wanted to study arranging to to do arrangements of, of pop music of of uh, commercials and everything and i went to iu indiana university in bloomington and before i knew it i was not doing commercials i was doing composition that's what they told me to do and i did it
1: well that's that's amazing i mean you started composing right away at the age of six. That's that's really amazing, Alfonso. And and the fact that you could hear uh, the patterns in those notes uh, right away. We were just talking about, um, you know, perfect pitch and relative pitch and, you know, how those things are developed. But you, you seem to develop those things right away without any training. That's really amazing. Um, could you describe, I mean, now that, you know, we're talking about Uh, your time in Indiana, um, how did you develop your compositional process? I mean, if you started when you were six years old and, you know, I I would imagine it went through several phases and then by the time you got to Indiana, things started to coalesce a little bit.
2: Yes. Um, When I was, you know, just to clarify, when I was six or seven or eight, I was not I didn't see it as composing, but I saw it as just ear training, something naturally that was happening. And and I don't, you know, I don't have perfect pitch or anything. And you know, I think I have some relative pitch, but not perfect pitch. But yeah, here's the deal. Um, everything, you know, after I turned 12, 13, uh, everything in my head was based on improvisation. I was thinking, gosh, I wish I could write this that I'm playing right now so i don't have to re you know replay it and 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 replay it in my head and see how it goes i wish i could go far beyond just the one four five one progression in my music that i was doing with a rock band Uh, i didn't even know what one four five one was back then i just thought okay I, i wish i could get rid of the c the f the g the A minor and the E, I need to do something else. So I go to Indiana and immediately um, the composition teacher tells me, you know, write a piece with uh, only sevenths and seconds. That's all you can use. Yeah. And I was really upset. I said, what in the world is this music is asking me to write? You know, he would tell me, write a piece with only one note write a piece with only quartal, uh, quartal chords and uh, you know quartal uh, intervals and chords and i'm like what is this that he's um tell-? mark phillips was his name he teaches last time i knew he was teaching in um in ohio but right. nonetheless uh it came a point in indiana you know you're surrounded by this amazing Composing stu- uh, composers, stu- uh, composition students and professors that write with an immense amount of dissonance and you're incorporated into that atmosphere. So I decided at one point, you know, I remember being a, a sophomore. I said, OK, I have all this music vocabulary that is quite dissonant, that it seems that's the expectation. Yeah, yeah. Um, how can I make the best music that is pleasing to me and the people who is going to, are, who are gonna hear it? How can I make music with that vocabulary? Huh. And there it begins my true composition uh, journey. I see. you know and and and, and it, it was with that dissonant language uh, that I, started, you know, developing that. And I said, okay, well, I can throw a consonance here and it'll just open up, it'll give some beauty to the, you know, all the dissonance that I was writing. Um, And then form, of course. Uh, I, you know, something that I learned in Indiana University, of course, is form. Form is always the first thing. It doesn't matter the vocabulary that I use, it's form. How to make the the piece co- cohesive is the word. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, so uh, we were talking about forms and you know symphonic forms as well in in some of our earlier podcasts. What forms do you use? We we were in particular talking about sonata allegro form. Uh, you know, of course, the 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 form that influenced composers, you know, for probably 100, 150 years. um, What forms do you use?
2: Well, that's the thing. Uh, I've always, uh, since I was uh, at Indiana, I have been against of a preconceived form. Hmm. So, of course, we were studying sonata form like crazy and I was like totally against it. I mean, not against against it because, not against Mozart, Beethoven, or the classics. No, no, no. I was Against it mainly because I would think that anything that comes from within is more important than a pre, you know, preconceived form. Yeah. So I was like, I wanted something free that would flow free. How can, I, and you know, all my pieces back then, you know, turned out to be A, B, ABA, ABC, A. Right and so forth.
1: Ternary forms, ternary forms and, yeah.
2: and forms and Yes, and I, I then, what I disliked of my music is that, even though, you know, people liked it, other composers liked it, I, I didn't like the, the sections, it, it being sectional in the music. How do I make those sections you know, blend a little bit or just work on transitions how so it doesn't sound like a cutting and paste, you know, pasted uh, piece of music, but just how to blend those sections. So the transitions are, you know, more smooth. So that's how I spend most of my time, especially back then dealing with, you know, w- w- with with the sections. So so the music doesn't sound sectional. So, you know, I even started writing music that would, that would be mono-sectional, like one mood. How can I keep this mood as long as I can without it bothering me and hopefully not bothering the audience? And also, orchestration-wise, instead of going directly to, a, you know, from a full, dense, symphonic, Part to a solo flute part. Yeah. How can I uh, just keep that density and make it in every way varied uh, as much as I can without going into a variant that is going to thin out the orchestration? So, you know, I have pretty dense music. That want. <laughs> Talking about the, the New York Youth Symphony. Yeah, uh, the one I wrote that that was one of the things and it was highly disliked by many people because even by the conductor not 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 the conductor of the, not by uh, by Miguel has not by him but yeah. doctors in Venezuela t- told me you know what in the world is this it's so dense I I cannot make any sense of it yeah. well it's it, it, it's that because I wanted to keep that density all throughout in one move in one piece
1: huh. Very, very, very interesting. Um, so, but there, you know, I've, I've played, you know, some pieces by you that are, that are, that have that kind of density, but I've also played pieces that are extremely tuneful and uh, really kind of a completely different style. Can you talk a little bit about when you're writing in that
2: way, where do your melodies come from? Yes, I. You know, uh, let me clarify something. Especially now with uh, the the COVID and uh, what we've been going through, uh, you know, I I have to be obvious. You know, I I want my music to console people, to not to take him into a, a roller coaster and not to take myself into a roller coaster. I need some of that consolation too. And, uh, and the music I'm writing now, it, it's very melodic, very lyric, very transparent. You know, I was talking about density, you know, getting rid of a little bit of that density. And um, so specifically talking about melodies, you know, they, they come from improvisation a lot of times. The, the, I just yeah. sit on the piano and start plugging notes, and, you know, I, and I do notice... A pattern that I love: immense leaps. You know, in you know, it's just a no, a lonely note way up in the register, and then coming down, no longer you know, keeping keeping the melodies, you know, in thirds or going down a sixth or whatever, but in compound intervals. And uh, I've noticed that, but that comes from improvisation and and also in my head, just singing stuff in my head when I don't have a piano around. Um just uh just like that. That's specifically, you know, the melodies. And well, you know, and that's to me, that's the easy part, the the inspiration part, you know, the melodies. But the developing part is when you get stuck as a composer and then that's when you start sweating a little bit. Okay, how what am I gonna do with that melody? So it's not just a pretty so it doesn't sound like a pop melody. So it sounds like a truly classical piece.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny that I've had several people tell me that you can't actually teach composition. That spark, that that improvisation, that thing that, you know, just comes into your head uh, really can't be taught. It can only just start coming to you. Um, but it's the putting those things together into a coherent form, that that's the part, that's the composition part that can be taught. And I find it really interesting that it really kind of all starts with improvisation, doesn't it? Beethoven was one of the world's great improvisers. And, you know, he did that sort of thing all the time, but then he, would turn and say, okay, I'm going to start writing this down and organizing it. And then the whole process became torturous for him because he was trying to make those decisions um, about it, even though he could make up whole pieces on his own without even thinking about it. So it's really kind of this two-pronged process where you start off with something that's just born in your head and then you organize it on yes. paper. Is that
2: does that make sense? It makes perfect sense it and you know it's it's uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a pianist yeah. um, who, uh, you know that he's studying the different parts of the brain that work when you improvise versus when you sit down and write down yeah. uh, he's big into that and we had a major conversation about that and, and it's incredible how yeah I, c- I can see at the piano and I can you know, Fake my way. It's it's survival yeah. mode. It's survival mode. If I have an audience, and they tell me, "Oh, play something," and you know, I don't know what to play. I improvisation starts going, and uh, and it's amazing what comes out. But you know, the minute you write it down, you start sweating, and you start. Okay, well, the, the music starts taking turns. But let me go back really fast. What you said about the teaching, because. Yeah. Um, Yes, you can teach the the student. You have to, you know, the student needs to learn development and all that kind of thing. But something important, I think, for students, and I'm going to call us students because I want to take myself back when I was in Indiana. Uh, One of the hardest things when you're surrounded by so many geniuses, so many people who are incredible musicians, is how do you truly bring out what is you? Yeah. And it's the teacher's job, I feel, to reassure you and not only to guide you, but to encourage you and, and demand that what you have inside comes out, that it's not being influenced by the masses around you. That if your teacher likes one thing but you have something out that's that you you have something that wants to come out the teacher needs to find a way for you not to hold back right and that that, that takes years that takes years because you know when i wrote my first symphonic works and everything I, I, and sometimes it takes friends to tell you i had a i had an uh, you know i was only 18 or 19 at the time but i had a an adult friend back then Yeah. That would tell me, Alfonso, don't hold back Melody. And that stayed, you know, at the time I'm like, Yeah, like who are you to tell me? I've been studying this for so long. But it stayed for the rest of my life, don't hold back. I had a an uncle of mine who is, uh, I don't know, in Spanish we call him melomanos. Those are music lovers. I don't know how you call them in English. People who are not musicians, but would go to the concerts and love Wagner and Beethoven and everything. Those are the the the, the, the symphony goers. Right. And I remember my uncle telling me in my after my second um, symphonic piece, he said, Alfonso, The way you handle the woodwinds and the brass is incredible, and the percussion, and the harp, and the piano. But you need to work on the strings. That's the core of what you need to do as a symphonic composer. And, 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 you know, and at the time, I'm like, oh, my, it was right after a performance. Imagine. I was like, oh, gosh, really? <laughs> I got some work to do. <laughs> do. Do I need to hear this now? Really? And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was my uncle. Uh, rest in yeah. peace. He passed a, a, a year ago. He yeah. passed away. And uh, it, it, it it stayed with me for the rest of my life. Another uncle. uh told me he's an architect. They're all artists. This other one is an architect, told me, Alfonso, you know, I, I love your music, but you're jumping into these dramatisms, these Wagnerian things too fast. Give me some meditation. Give me some reflection. Hold me in the, in the slow movements a little more. I want to yeah. meditate more. So things that people tell you bring out, you know, encourage you to bring out and I'm sorry I went on a tangent there, but good. It, it brings out the yourself, you know, when you're surrounded by so many people struggle, you know, struggling to find their 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 language. And, 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 I, and I include the, t- the professors, they're also struggling to find their own language and, right. you, and you're in the middle of that.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, the, uh, there's a famous story. Bernstein uh, talked about how, you know, Copeland used to help him out. And uh, there was one point when he was writing something and Copeland, you know, kind of came up behind him and uh, pointed to certain passages. And he said, well, that sounds like me. And that sounds like somebody else. He said, that measure, that measure, that sounds, that's you. He said, take that and develop it. That's incredible. Great teacher, great professor. Exactly, exactly. So can you, I've played a lot of, of your pieces and almost all of them that I can actually, I think every single one of them that I've played and studied has something to do and speaks to your native Venezuela. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and how how your home has influenced your music?
2: Well, uh, again, I go back to my first pieces. Um, I n- never consciously um, composed music that uh, had was connected to Venezuela, I have to tell you. I was Venezuelan, I came at the age of 16. When I was at Indiana, I saw myself as a, you know, my dream was to be, you know, one of the Viennese composers, you know, not not Venezuelan with nationalistic ideas or anything in my music. Nonetheless, some of my best works, I was told by this older gentleman, he was the Minister of Culture at the time, he would tell my mother this, my mother would just tell me, uh, because he was quite old, an older man. He would say, Alfonso has the Venezuelan uh, tradition in his music, but very elegantly, you know, very, very elegantly done. Yeah. Meaning that it was hidden there, but it was not like, like a true dance or a true horopo or a true merengue. It was just something that came natural. Yeah. And I'm like, really? That's what I'm trying to avoid. You <laughs> know, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. You know, and and I did, I didn't see it at the time. I didn't have enough knowledge, musical knowledge. Yeah. to see it. Now, I go back now, and I play through those pieces on the piano, or I listen to them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, yes, this is what he meant. Look at that. And <laughs> I, I can't believe I didn't see that back then. Now, the music that that was back then, that music that you have played for me, I do consciously put an effort to uh, include the Venezuela I grew up with. Right. And, you know, I, I think it's a more mature person now that, you know, I have nothing to do. So I, I just write what I want. Nobody's going to, whether the, the listener tells me, well, I like this more, I like that, I, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I just, I, because of the fact that, you know, I, I could say that back then I, I took Venezuela for granted a little more and right now that I cannot even go and visit, I cannot go, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even have concerts there, uh, it pains me not be a part of that wonderful society, right. uh, it, I, I make my, my effort of, of really include those rhythms in my music. And they're they're very, very, I found that, they, you know, it's very easy when they come unconsciously, but when you consciously are trying to write those rhythms, it's very, very hard because it's not only the rhythm, but it's the articulations. It's the, right. uh, how to portray that with articulations and everything and dynamics. So the actual rhythm comes out. A Venezuelan triplet is different than a Viennese triplet. It, it, right. It's played differently. So right, right. I, how do I do that? So anyway, that, that, that is the way. And I, and, I, and I do it right now. It, it's part of my core. It's part, part of me. I love the people of Venezuela. I love the country. And it pains me not to, not to be there with them
1: yeah well that's that that's amazing Alfonso and you know I can tell you as a performer trying to figure out those rhythms you were coaching me uh, quite well on a lot of those things like no 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 you have to play the rhythm like this like that I know so uh, just winding up here Alfonso I want to thank you so much for your time and I uh, really appreciate you uh, all of the things that you're bringing to Ogden and that you've brought brought to me—it's been been really wonderful uh, talking to you, and uh, we'll we'll see you some other time. But yes. have thank show you again.
2: And as always, you know, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for in you know, there's nothing not bigger honor for a composer that someone is interested. In his or her music, and you you do that, you give your all to every composer that you perform. You make them your friend. You make them your you know your mission, and uh, it, that's not common anywhere in the world. So thank you.
1: No,
0: my
2: my pleasure. That's for sure.
0: You know Gabe I love the interview and Alfonso certainly is a source of inspiration not only for musicians but for all composers around there. I really love the fact that he started his composing at 6 years old. That is that is amazing.
1: It's really it's re- it it just shows how natural this is for him and how it's he's just integrated it into his life.
0: You know as the, as the father of 7-year-olds I, I couldn't imagine them sitting down, pencil, paper, writing down. I mean, they're creative and all, and I know you've got some, some, some children of your own. But yeah. I mean, really, knowing that that's your calling, knowing that that's it, and you know, as you said in the interview, composing is not something that you're taught. It's something that you have. The teaching right. is just crafting the craft if you will there right so i mean first of all we want to say thank you to alfonso for checking everything out in our show notes uh we're going to make sure that you guys have all the links to his uh his social media his website all that great stuff would love to have you guys reach out and if you like this episode don't forget to leave a comment below whether that be an apple podcast google podcast or if you're checking out this in youtube we would love to have you guys check this out gabe where can we find more information about the great stuff that you're doing You can go to gabrielgordon.net and you'll
1: see all the show notes there as well as my videos and where I'm going to be playing next.
0: We want to say thank you one more time for making The Art of Listening your home for classical music. On behalf of Gabriel Gordon, my name is Jeff Bradbury. Until next time, enjoy the music.